Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. All right. Look with me in verse 1. John chapter 14 and verse 1. We'll read down through, through verse 6. The Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm going to preach this morning on this subject, this title, No Other Way, and we're, we're going to be in these verses for a couple of weeks here. We'll not get all the way through them uh, today. There's, there's a lot to unpack uh, in these verses, um, so we're just going to go part of the way through it today, get as far as we can, but I want you to know the title of the message because uh, Jesus makes this very straightforward and bold statement in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way, and that is the title of the message. Let me just introduce this, though, with a couple of things for you. Um, recently, not that long ago, um, there was a video message that was sent out to churchgoers, and it it was a generalized thing, but it was on social media, and the video was sent out to churchgoers, and it was from one of the most recognized religious leaders uh, in America and probably the world, and he made a statement, and it was a fairly stunning statement. He said this, he said, many think differently and many feel differently, seeking God or meeting God in various and different ways. In this crowd, in this range of religions, there's only one certainty that we have for all, and that is that we are all the children of God. In other words, in this uh, plethora and mixture of various religions and, uh, that all you know, teach different things from each other, the thing that he came across to say is we need to be united together in this thought that we're all the children of God. There was a popular pastor, American pastor, who also is a best-selling author, who said this, and it really unveiled his belief in universalism when he said this. He said, he said there, there may be many different ways to get to heaven. These are religious leaders, quote, Christian religious leaders in our country. There's a so-called pastor who preached these words. He said, the Christ is you, and he lives in you. He's your travel guide to the steps along the way to enlightenment. And here are some common quotes that Americans and some Christians hold to. 
things like this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about what you believe. Or something like this. Good people are the people that go to heaven. Uh, how about this? God wouldn't send anybody to hell. He's a loving God. Good works are the thing that gets you to heaven. Or whatever works for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Or this one, and this is probably a, a more popular uh, sentiment in American society, the thought being that it's arrogant to believe that there's only one way to heaven and it just so happens to be your way. Well, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus made that statement. And so here's the main point, and here's basically the sermon in a sentence. If I believe the Bible, if I believe that the Bible is true, then I have to believe that what Jesus said is also true, that he is the only way in order to, to ever see heaven. I want to make it more personal. If you do not believe in and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that you'll ever have peace with God or ever see heaven, you will spend eternity in the never-ending fires of hell. That is a, a straight and a true statement. If you personally do not believe and receive Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity apart from God in the never-ending fires of hell. And you think, well, that's quite an opening statement. And it might be, because what I just said isn't politically correct, but it is biblically correct. And, it's, and some might call that tough truth, and that might be true. But I would suggest, and I would say this morning, that's actually very gracious news to you and to me. It's gracious news. And it's good news and it's gracious news because Jesus in this text right here gives us four assurances, four things that we can count on. If we believe it and we receive what Jesus gives, then we'll experience the blessing that God brings along with it. And so there is no other way. That's what we're going to talk about. But I want to point out four things, the four assurances that Jesus gives in these verses. And we'll work our way through it. Little by little, we may just get through a couple of them today, okay? I'm going to point them out to you, though, and so that you're aware of them, and then we'll start to break them down. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to receive and understand your word, and then, Father, that it would be effectually working in our heart. And I do pray, Lord, for good application to the hearts of men, and there's good application for the saved and unsaved alike here today. And Lord, we pray for the ones that have never been born again, truly saved, repenting of their sin, putting their faith in Christ. Lord, that you'd bring them to that place of repentance even today. In Jesus' name, amen. The four assurances that Jesus gives in this text is, is first of all, found in, in verse 1, and that assurance is peace for troubled hearts. Notice verse 1 again. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The first assurance that Jesus gives is peace for troubled hearts. Now, let's remember the context here. Okay? Right up here. All right. Remember the context. 
There's, and what we also need to remember as we think of the context is there's no break between chapter 13 and chapter 14. All right? This is all one continuing thought here. And the context is that Jesus is still at supper with his disciples back in chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So Jesus is with his disciples. And the, and the time frame is this, that less than 24 hours from right now, Jesus is going to give his life. Jesus is going to be crucified. Less than 24 hours from this moment, Jesus is going to be put into the tomb. And so all of chapter 13, all the way up through the end of the book of John, all relates to the, uh, to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. So you have several chapters of Jesus here just teaching his disciples all within a 24-hour period that Jesus is going to go to the cross. That's the context that we're in as we get into chapter 14. Jesus is still at supper with his disciples, supper being ended. Now Jesus is going to teach them some things. What is he teaching them? Well, in chapter 13, we saw that he taught them the lesson of sacrificial service to others when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And the disciples were waiting for somebody to do that for them. But Jesus put on the apron of a servant. Jesus knelt down and washed their feet. He did the job that was reserved for the lowest of the low. Not even a Jew slave was required to wash the feet. It was reserved for Gentile slaves. And you know how the Jews thought about Gentiles. Jesus took on him the form of a servant. He taught them the lesson of sacrificial service to others, even those who don't deserve it. And Jesus said, what I've done to you, you need to do to each other. We need to have a servant's heart. Christ is the prime example of that. He taught them about selfless love. He did that in predicting Judas's betrayal and predicting Peter's denial. He said, this is what's going to happen. And yet, in spite of the betrayal of Judas, Jesus loved him unto the end. The Bible said in chapter 13, in verse 1, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. That included Judas, the one who was going to betray him. And he taught how he taught them about selfless love and giving Judas opportunity after opportunity to change his mind to repent. He also told them that he was going to go away. Uh, look at chapter 13 and verse 33. Chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, look at verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Where, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Jesus told them that he was leaving them. Earlier on, Jesus taught them concerning his death, that he would be crucified and so on. And so Jesus uh, tells them that he's going to be leaving them. He told of his death, even though they didn't fully understand it. And so we go back and we look at all of this 
stuff that just happened in chapter 13. And I think it explains for us why verse 1 tells us that Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Why would they be troubled? Well, it's, it's quite probable that they were experiencing troubled hearts from all that Jesus had just told them was going to happen. There was going to be betrayal. There's going to be denial. There's going to be death. I'm leaving. It prob- it's probable that their hearts were starting to be stirred and troubled at all the things that Jesus had just said, but they were things that hadn't happened yet. Now, the word troubled means to stir up. It means to agitate. Do you ever get that way? Do you ever get that way in your heart? It's stirred up. It's agitated. It's full of anxiety. It's even fearful over things that haven't happened yet. Right? I get, I mean, just going to the the gas pump, I get stirred up and agitated. Like, thank you, Mr. President, you know? And like, and there's no end in sight. And there, and you hear the you hear the rumors, and you hear the things that that the economists and 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 all say are going to be happening. I just read an article from the Anchorage Daily News that said gas was sixteen dollars a gallon in one native village in Alaska. And that actually could come to pass. There was another article I was reading that gas stations were were changing the digital pumps because they're not they're not equipped to, uh, to uh, read double-digit numbers. In other words, like, you know, $10 per gallon, $11 a gallon. Gas stations are changing their pumps in order to, to be able to handle that and actually read that out. Because there's, there's thought and there's, there's talk of that there's no end in sight, and who knows where this kind of stuff is going to end. I mean, that agitates me sometimes, and I get irritated. Maybe it's the physical things like that that can cause us to be stirred up and agitated, but maybe it's, maybe it's other things. You know what? Sometimes, sometimes we even invent things that haven't happened yet, and we're troubled over the imaginary. You ever get that way? Your mind just starts running, and you start going in this direction, and this direction, and that means this, and that means that, and then, then it's going to land up over here, and all of a sudden, boom, the world explodes, or you're you know, or whatever. You ever done that? And you start, you start to be troubled and agitated over the imaginary, the things that haven't happened yet. But now notice what Jesus says here. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be stirred up and agitated. Jesus said, don't let it happen. The phrase let not expresses absolute denial. In other words, don't make any room for it. Let not your heart be troubled. You know what? That sounds like it involves some personal responsibility, doesn't it? Jesus said, don't let it happen. Whose responsibility? Don't let your heart be troubled. Make no room for it. Now the word heart, what does that mean? It's not talking about your physical heart. Certainly not. It's talking about your seat of emotions. It's talking about your feelings. It's talking about the real you. It's talking about the center of your spiritual life. 
And Jesus says that our part is to not let our heart be troubled. Don't let it be agitated. Don't let it be anxious. Don't let it be worried. Don't let it be bothered. Don't let it be disturbed. Don't let it be uneasy, apprehensive, fearful, perturbed, bothered, distressed, disquieted, fretful, nervous, edgy, angst, anxiety, uh, tense, overwrought, worked up, worried, sick. Do I need to come up with any more? That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? A thesaurus will do a lot for you. <laughs> Makes you look pretty smart. Jesus says, don't let it happen. Don't make any room for it. Now, I've had conversations with people who say, well, that sort of thing is a lot easier for you because of your personality than it is for me because of my personality. Have you ever had conversations with people like that? And that might be partially true. However, however, none of us are immune to this sort of a thing. None of us are immune from having troubled thoughts or troubled hearts or worry or fret or fear. None of us are immune. And Jesus says, don't make room for it. And some be like, how is that even possible? It's not possible to live that way in this world. All the stuff we just talked about. And that is actually true. <laughs> in and of yourself. Jesus says we're not to allow our hearts to be troubled, but how is that possible? You know, a common response to fear or worry is to, you know, uh, metaphorically pull your hair out or to bite your nails. In other words, to, to worry yourself sick over things that you can't control. And that is not the place that the Lord wants us to be. He says, don't let it happen. But how? Well, the very next words in this verse tell us exactly how. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the answer. Here's how. Here's how you come to the place where you don't make room for troubled, anxious, agitated, stirred up hearts. You got to believe and you got to trust in the Lord. I mean, that sounds simple. But it's the answer. It's the answer that Jesus gives. But we also need to understand this. The way that these words are given they indicate to us that Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to keep on believing. You believe in God, believe also in me. Keep on believing. The verbs are present imperatives. And what that means for us is keep on believing in God, keep on believing in me. In other words, you put your faith in me at some point. If you're saved here today, you've trusted in the Lord, you put your faith in Christ Keep on! That's the answer. Jesus makes another claim to deity here. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying something like this. You trust in God who's invisible, 
But if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're one and the same, so keep on believing. Look at verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Here's the answer. And friend, the things that Jesus told his disciples are the very things that are true for us as well. Keep on believing in Christ. If you're saved, you've believed on him for eternal life, how then can we not trust him with this life? Keep on believing his promises. Isaiah 26, 3 tells us thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When we get troubled and we get agitated and we get fearful and we get stirred up and we're worried, our mind is not fixed or stayed on the Lord because the promise of God. I, as I was studying this, that verse came to mind, but then a song, a choir song that I used to sing came to mind. And the words of the song just instantly came back to my head. And the words are this, Lord, you promised perfect peace to those whose heart and mind release to you the burdens of this life with all its worry and all its strife. No matter what my lot may be, teach me to trust your sovereignty and keep my heart stayed on thee stayed on thee, stayed on thee. That is where I long to be because that is where your face I'll see. Lord, your promise I believe as this truth I do receive. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Jesus promised and assured peace for troubled hearts. And the way to do that is to keep on believing in the promise of God. That should encourage you. That should reignite you. When you're, when you're troubled, you're going through some life stuff right now. Release the burdens of life with all its worry and its strife to the Lord. He promised perfect peace to those who would trust in Him. Go back to our text in John chapter 14 and look at verse 2, and we find the second assurance that the Lord gives. He says, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The second assurance that Jesus gives here is a place in the Father's house. He promises perfect peace or peace for troubled hearts, and now he, he gives the assurance of a place in the Father's house. He says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the word mansions 
It's always been interesting to me how people get hung up here on this. The word mansions, it literally means a staying. It means a residency. It means an abode. Originally, the word was used for an abiding place. In other words, it was a word that was used for something that was permanent. It was the permanency of home. Okay, you understand that? You follow that? The phrase, prepare a place that Jesus gives at the end of that verse, I go to prepare a place for you, it simply means a spot. That's the the basic definition of the word. But a lot of people get hung up here. Is it literally a mansion? You know, and we sing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And I'm walking on streets of gold, and, and the picture's painted of this lavishness of things. I've got a mansion waiting on me. And then there's the other side that says, well, it doesn't actually mean a lavish mansion. It's more like an apartment. Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a spot in my Father's house, and so on. And, and then the mansion people say, They say, oh, I don't believe that God is going to put us in an apartment building in our own little place. God is so big. There's no way. And I'm just like, you know what? Everybody just calm down. It's all in how we imagine things from a temporal life perspective. And when we get hung up on, say, the mansion part, we miss the whole point. We miss the whole truth that Jesus is trying to to give us to understand here. And what is often missing in that line of thinking is what Jesus says in the very first words. He says, in my Father's house. This is what is missing. People get hung up on the mansion part of it. But I want you to just think about that for a second. In my Father's house, Jesus says, are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place, a spot for you. Listen, he pictures, he pictures heaven as a loving home where the Father dwells. A place of security. A place of permanency. That's how the word is used. It, it was used as a residence, but it was talking about something that was secure and something that was permanent. This word is only used one other time. And it's used actually in this chapter. Go to verse 23 and see how it's translated in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. It's translated as the word abode. And again, it's, it's, the, it's original in its use was, was, was talking about something that was permanent. And notice the permanency of Jesus and the Father and you. We'll make our abode with you. What's the point? Well, the point is, it doesn't really matter in a lot of ways whether this is you know, some grand mansion that we can imagine in our mind, in our temporal realm, or something different. That's not really the point. The image is derived from those 
the vast oriental palaces of the east in which there was an abode not only for the king, for the sovereign himself, not only for the heir of the throne, but also all the sons of the king, no matter how numerous they were, there was a place for them. And people say, well, what is it actually going to look like? I want to know what the house is going to look like. Listen, I don't really know, but that's not the point. But I do think that we could remember that this is God that Jesus is talking about. He says, it's my Father. who. This is the same God, friend, who simply spoke a word, and this whole universe was formed simply from speaking a word. Think about this for a second. If you could seatbelt yourself to a beam of light, and you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. In eight minutes, you'd scream right past the sun. In five hours of traveling at the speed of light, you'd zip past the planet of Pluto. But understand this, it would only take you 200,000 years to get from one end of the Milky Way galaxy to the other. At the speed of light, 200,000 years. Just think about that for a second. Because there's over 100 billion galaxies out there that they have estimated. And, and friend, I was just reading this article yesterday that as telescope technology improves, they're finding more and more. And they're estimating that there's actually probably more like 200 billion galaxies out there with millions of light years that separate all of these galaxies. And the fact is, God takes it all and he measures it with the span of his hand. From the tip of his thumb to the tip of his pinky. That's how God measures the vastness of the universe. He created it all with just a simple word. He spoke it into existence. What is the house going to look like? I don't know. But he's big and he's God. You can imagine his throne. You can imagine his table in the Father's house. But more importantly, you imagine this. There's a place for you. I thought I would get a little bit more out of you than that. Wow. Wow. The point is not the lavishness of the place, but the fact that preparation has been made by Jesus Christ himself just for you. And there's more than enough space for everybody who believes in Jesus Christ in his father's house. In my father's house. We get hung up on the mansions and we get hung up on what it's going to look like. But how about the fact that there's a permanent place just for you that Jesus Christ has prepared? Amen. Heaven is not heaven because of how lavish it's going to be. Heaven is heaven because Jesus Christ is there and we are going to be with him. Amen. But friend, beyond that, it's your permanent home. It can never, ever, 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 ever be taken away. 
if you know Jesus Christ. You know the comfort? You know the comfort of the feeling of home? Like, at least for most people. You know, home is a place of safety. Home is a place of comfort. Home is a place that you want to go to, that you want to be, where you're safe from all the things. It's the place where you go, and it's just yours, and you relax, and you're, you're at ease, and you're at home. You're safe. You're secure. That's what it is. It's permanent. It's comfort. It's home. And I'm simply telling you, and the application is this, this world is not your home. This world is not your home. It's so temporary. And so here's the truth. Don't get so attached. That's my home. Because Christ is there. And there's a place that Jesus promised just for me. Amen? What an assurance. What an assurance in the light of the fact that there's all kinds of trouble Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Have the right perspective here. Why? Praise the Lord. And Lord, help us not to be so attached to this temporary world. Amen? Amen. Then look in verse 3. And we'll not spend a lot of time on these because we'll save these for the but the third assurance that Jesus give is, gives is a promise to return. So he has peace for troubled hearts, a place in his father's house, and then thirdly, a promise to return. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'll just touch on this, and we'll dig into this a lot more next time. But when Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place, that holds the idea and the meaning of a forerunner, one who goes ahead. Jesus says, I go, if I go to prepare a place. And the thought is, it's, there's a particular Greek word uh, that's, Protomos, I believe, is the word, but it was used uh, in connection with uh, when there was a battle going on and there you have the general army, they would always send out forerunners ahead of the general army to scout out the way, to make sure that it was safe, to clear the way, you know, for the, for the troops to move on through. That was kind of the idea. And there's, there's another application to it too, as well. And, and that's kind of the idea. Jesus has gone ahead. He's the forerunner. He's gone ahead. If I go to prepare a place, he's making it ready. Then he says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The other application to if I go to prepare a place for you is this. In, in, in that culture and in that setting, uh, when a man and a woman were going to be married, the man would, would make preparation ahead of time. And he would, he would prepare the house, and he would prepare the place, and make it ready for his bride. 
He would go ahead uh, with the preparation ahead of time. And then Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And the picture that's being given here is a groom receiving his bride. The day has come. That's the idea. Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, you better believe I'm coming back to get you. So that where I am, there ye may be also. A promise. We're not left here alone. Amen. And then verses 4 through 6, Jesus gives the assurance of a plan. A plan for the way. Verse 4 says, And whither I go, or where I go, ye know, and the way ye know. So Jesus says, Where I'm going, you know, and the way to get there, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the fourth assurance is a plan for the way. How do we get there to the Father's house? Jesus says, I'm the way. Jesus doesn't point the way in the distance. He doesn't send a map ahead for them to follow. He doesn't just give some directions, you know, go here and then turn right there. No, Jesus comes and he grabs your hand and he says, follow me, I'll lead you there. I'm the way. And so we'll talk more about those things next time. But let me close with a story that applies to the two thoughts that we gave already this morning. There's a story about a sailor who was shipwrecked on one of the South Sea Islands. He was seized by the natives there. He was hoisted to their shoulders. He was carried to their village. He was set on a rude throne. Little by little, he learned that it was their custom once each year to make some man a king, a king for a year. He liked it until he began to wonder what happened to all the former kings. Soon he discovered that every year when his kingship was ended, the king was banished to an island where he starved to death. The sailor did not like that at all, but he was smart and he was the king the king for a year. So he put his carpenters to work making boats. He put his farmers to work transplanting fruit trees and growing crops. He put his masons to work building houses. So when his kingship was over, he was banished not to a barren island, but to an island of abundance. And the thought is that it's a good story of life. In one sense, we're kings. Kings for a little while. We're able to choose what we do with the days that we've been given. We're able to choose what we do with the stuff of life while we live here. But Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. 
the point of the message that Jesus gives is don't get so attached to temporal life. Invest your life into the things that are more important, the spiritual. And that is the principle for us. Jesus says, there's peace for your troubled heart when you believe in the Lord. There's a promise of a place in the Father's house. That is your permanent home. Don't get so attached to the temporal world. Amen? And next week we'll consider the other two. Let me just say this as I close, though. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. If you haven't repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ alone, you need to. Because without that, friend, not religion, not religion, without a relationship with Jesus Christ that comes through repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity apart from God. There is no other way. It's not religion. It's not in some incantation. It's not in some ritual. It's not in just saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, friend, do you have a relationship with him that is because you understood you are guilty before God and you deserve God's judgment and wrath and your heart was repentant toward him? And you put your faith in Christ alone. Is that you? Have you been saved? If not, friend, the wrath of God abides on you. But Jesus says there's a way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word. Thank you for it. Speak to hearts according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.